It's time for Twit This Week in Tech. Three great panelists this week. Father Robert Ballas here, the digital Jesuit, on the line from the Vatican City. From uh, back east, it's our own Lou M.M., host of This Week in Enterprise Tech. Lou Maresca joins us. And Dan Moore, a novelist and Mac expert. Uh, we will talk about AI. I started the show thinking it was just a parlor trick. Now I'm worried that the singularity is near. We'll also talk about that Florida bill that makes bloggers register before they write about the governor. The last pass hack and the end of TikTok in the U.S. It's all coming up next on Twitter. Podcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. This is Twit. This Week in Tech, episode 917, recorded Sunday, March 5th, 2023. Pwn, not pwn. This Week in Tech is brought to you by Collide. Collide is a device trust solution that ensures that if a device isn't secure, it can't access your apps. It's zero trust for Okta. Visit collide.com slash twit and book a demo today. And by Decisions. Don't let complexity block your company's growth. Decisions no-code, rules-driven process automation software provides every tool you need to build custom workflows, empowering you to modernize legacy systems, ensure regulatory compliance, and renew the customer experience. Visit decisions.com slash twit to learn how automating anything can change everything. And by ExpressVPN. Protect your data and identity every time you go online with the number one rated VPN provider today. Visit expressvpn.com slash twit to get three months free on a one-year package. It's time for Twit This Week in Tech, the show where we cover the week's tech news. And joining us this week, Father Robert Balasir from back in the Vatican, the digital Jesuit. Hello, Robert. Good Great to, see to be you. back. Saw the Vaticats before the, in the pre-show. <laughs> yeah, I take care of them. Robert feeds. Uh, are they strays? They're wild cats. Yeah, they are ferals that just happen to wander into our campus uh, around the start of the pandemic. And at any given time, there's between five and nine of them. Uh, five they, of them are really friendly. Yeah, they never left because so, somebody yeah, was those... feeding them. They're not stupid. You know, <laughs> three warms a day and uh, and a place to sleep. That's not uh, that's not going to kill them. I, mm -hmm. I think that's a, it's very mm -hmm. attractive. Also with it, it's great to have you, Father Robert. Thanks for joining us. Also here from Father Robert's old show, This Week in Enterprise Tech, Twyad, it's Lou Maresca, Lou M.M., Principal Engineering Manager at Microsoft. Hi, Lou. Hey, Leo. Great to be here. Joining us from the East Coast of the United That's States right. this this time. Uh, how many How many children do you have now? I have <laughs> eight. No, I have five kids now. Okay, uh, trying to keep up. That's old, all. Youngest one's two. Two. Not too bad. Well, you could yes. share some uh, parenting advice with this new proud papa. Dan Morin from Six Colors <laughs> is here with a brand new baby. Hello, Dan. Hello, Leon. Good to be here. Nice to have you back. We were here. Uh, we were together on the Super Bowl. And yeah, now, we did um, Mac Rick Weekly. Now we're here uh, on the... Uh, on the launch of the F1 season. So it's perfect. Perfect. Timing is everything. Yes. Father Robert, did you, uh, I guess you didn't have to get up. You could watch the uh, F1 at a normal hour. I uh, got I, up. 
two things I think are important. One is I, I do not have a baby, so I'm the panelist without the baby. And uh, second, that is fairly I kind important. of yes. I kind of gave up on F1 after that debacle oh, two years ago. That was terrible. Uh, they stole Lewis I, Hamilton's I, title. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. All right. Speaking I, of, I, I want to watch it, but I won't. Oh wow. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I you know I'm sympathetic. I stopped watching baseball after the strike. Uh, mm. You know, it was hard for me to stay. But I'm thinking this year maybe. You know, I'm, I'm what I'm trying to do is work my way up into retirement. I'm going to take up golf, start start going to baseball games, wearing a wearing one of those little uh, hats with an open hole in the top, and start scoring and wear headphones Wait, in the are game. You, and are, are you turning to my dad? Is yes. that what's happening? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All Bocci right. ball, Leo. Bocci. <laughs> oh, Bocci. I can't. Well, I'm going to work. I'm going to work my way up to Bocci ball. I think I'll start with pickleball. And then <laughs> after a couple of years. I think the uh, shuffleboard comes at the end there, at the right? End. Yeah, I think, so. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Literally the last. It's time for our AI, our weekly AI segment. It never stops. never ends. Uh, I'm, I'm actually more curious, rather than talking about the events in AI, and there's, there's a few, quite a few, you know, chat, GPT, Microsoft's AI is now available to almost everybody, I think. I, everybody's been playing with it. Uh, and discovering all new things, Lawrence Abrams over at Bleeping Computer said he's found some hidden celebrity modes. ChatGPT will uh, respond in the voice of your favorite celebrity, whether it be The Rock or Barack. And uh, and it's so stupid, I can't even believe that he wrote an article about it. Yeah, everybody in the uh, IRC is going... <laughs> I... I wonder is now look you 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 can recuse yourself you work for Microsoft but I'm kind of thinking um this is this is starting to look like a party trick more than an actual transformative technology what's your thought Lou it's a good question. I think I see a lot of implementations of it. Like, look, people who show it online like through YouTube videos or whatnot, of course, they're going to show the parlor tricks. They're going to show the stuff that's really interesting. They're going to generate a, a picture that, you know, from, you know, a Midgard and they're going to go and or Dolly and then they're going to go feed it into a video so they can generate their own video and they're going to generate text. So, like, it, it becomes a parlor trick after you see all those things. But I'll tell you, I've, you know, obviously I can't talk about a lot of the stuff we're working on, but I can say that. A lot of the things that will be coming out in the next, you know, year or so are things that will directly impact everybody's lives, whether it be business or and I'm talking about like productivity to, um, you know, to safety to, um, you know, whatever you want to think about. Now, the, the things that are showing right now, sure, parlor tricks, because it's the way that they, you know, they get it out there. They get people interested or they get people thinking about it. But the reality is this stuff is is really going to be interesting what people are going to utilize it for. You agree, uh, Dan Morin? I think I think there's something to that. I mean, I think that the, the flash is going to wear off like the novelty aspect, right? That's what comes out of the gate strong. People are really interested. It generates a lot of attention. But it's not the stuff that ultimately long-term is really going to be as useful when it comes to AI. I mean... I think despite all the fears that people are going to use this to like write their papers for college or replace human workers. I mean, I've heard of this happening on very small scales in a couple of places, but I think ultimately 
the more interesting stuff that it can do just sort of generally when you throw it at a problem. I've seen a lot of like the the best sort of examples I've seen of, of the utility of this is thing like honestly writing code like it just it, or being like an aid to writing code because like I, I work on code sometimes and I get stuck because I'm not like a programmer. It's not my main job. And I'm like, man, I need an algorithm that does X. And I am like, I could bang my head and spend all my time Google searching and try to like reconstruct it if nobody's done exactly what I've done. Or I could ask an AI like, hey, do you have an algorithm that does this? And even if it's like 90% of the way there, that's pretty good. And it saves me a lot of time. So I think there's a lot of cases like that where it's going to be super useful for people trying to cut through all the noise, especially when it comes to like search. I think that's one of the reasons that Google has felt very threatened by this is that if you can just ask a chat out and get a pretty good answer along with like a source, it really solves. Like, I feel like Google these days, I type in search queries and I have to like, just scroll through a lot of things. And there's like, Oh, there's like 20 different sites and they all have their own opinion about the answer. And like, sometimes you just want to cut through the noise. And I think that's one of the things AI seems good at. Uh, do you, and Father Robert, do you think Google is going, Oh, we got to hurry up and get this barred out or going, whoo, we dodged a bullet. Let's wait and see what happens. Yeah, I, I think that they are taking the, the cautious approach, which is good because hopefully somebody over there has looked at the trend and realized this is just an advanced version, maybe the final version of big data analytics that we had in 2013. In 2013, data analytics came out and it was this idea of taking these huge data sets and building the tools to do predictive analysis based on the correlation between those data sets. That's essentially what today's AI does. It just uses these enormous data sets to be able to predict what human speech would be like or what the next bit of code should be like. So uh, there should be someone looking at that and saying, this is useful. This will be something that we can monetize. This will be something that we can commercialize in these sectors. But it ain't AI. And we got to stop calling it AI because we're scaring the people who are thinking that it's Skynet when really it's the next version of Siri. (laughs) Yeah, I actually think it's kind of more like autocorrect in your in your uh, iPhones. uh, (laughs) You know, it's I mean, it kind of fundamentally is the way it works. And there was a great article we've mentioned before. Um, by uh, Stephen Wolfram uh, on his Wolfram Alpha blog in which he actually explained how these large language model works. And essentially it is, you know, picking the next word uh, and then it it ranks them and then uh, it mixes it up a little bit so it gives you a different result each time. But it's really kind of autocorrect on steroids. On the other hand, it does come up with some funny things. Thanks uh, to our chat room for passing this tweet along from Ethan Mollick. Bing, write the first chapter of Genesis as a corporate memo. To all employees from God, CEO, subject, creation project status report. Dear team, I'm pleased to share with you the progress of our creation project for the past week. Here's a summary of what we've accomplished so far. On day one, we initiated the light and darkness differentiation process. We branded the light as day and the night as darkness as night. This was a major milestone for our project as it established the basic framework for our work environment. And, and on and on. And I think it's, it's actually a very interesting summary of Genesis <laughs> in a corporate memo. Therefore, I hereby declare that tomorrow will be day seven of our project cycle. It will be a day of rest for all of us. So um, congratulations. We've just created artificially intelligent <laughs> Mad Libs. <laughs> it's, yes. And I guess that's my point. It's essentially it's 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 Mad Libs, isn't it? It's it's smart Mad Libs based on a very large corpus of of information the internet as a whole 
But it's not much more than Mad Libs, and it's certainly not intelligence. It's not thinking. It's for for sure not sentient, as Blake Lemoyne thought it was. Right. Uh, thanks to Matt Ryder in our um, discourse, or Discord, rather, who uh, asked ChatGPT to write Leo Laporta podcast about the latest news in AI. <laughs> How AI is changing the world from ChatGPT to Meta. In this episode, Leo Laporte shares some of the recent developments and trends in artificial intelligence that are shaping our future. He talks to experts and researchers about the hype and controversy surrounding ChatGPT, an AI system that can generate realistic text. Well, that's a really telling phrase, a realistic text on almost any topic. How is ChatGPT being used for good and evil? What are the ethical and social implications of such a powerful technology? This really steals the punchline from the, wait, did an AI write this? No, wait, that, it did. Dang it. <laughs> Dang it. It's not even a good joke anymore. <laughs> did you watch? So last Sunday, uh, this this came to mind because last Sunday, uh, John Oliver uh, on his This Week Tonight, it, the main segment was AI. And he mocked, first of all, he mocked all the news reporters who are doing exactly that. Reading their, you know, their piece and then saying, and by the way, this was written by Jet GBT. Ha ha. Uh, I did not do that. You notice, Dan? I <laughs> I did. I flipped. Well, I mean, the joke is on them. I mean, everyone right. fell for that because we are expecting them not to have good copy. We know that what we get on social media <laughs> and on exactly the news is bad expected. copy. Yeah, it's exactly what we expected from local news. Um, but I, I was, uh, and Lisa will testify because we were, we were watching this together, and I was kind of yelling at the TV uh, because he, he made some fundamental errors. One was confusing algorithms with AI. Lou, you probably know more than anything as a programmer. That's the two different things, aren't they? I mean, you, you got to use uh, you know linear math and and particular algorithms and formulas within that to be able to produce the the models that, and train the models that you're actually using. So yeah, you write a program. It's not a fundamental to, algorithm. Yeah, right. you write a program algorithmically to create these models, but right. what the computer is doing once it's it's running uh, is not algorithmic, or is it? That's a, I think, I've stumped him. I, I Let's mean, ask yes. ChatGPT. <laughs> in in the sense that it's math, it's yeah. algorithmic. Yeah. Right. But what we think of when we hear algorithmic is we think of the one that Google is using to rank search or Twitter's yeah. using to remove trollish content. Or even as a coder, that's much more linear. Even as a coder, I think yeah, linear algebra. That's algorithms. You know, uh, Dijkstra's uh, uh, pathfinding algorithm. Uh, you know, uh, two plus two algorithmic, if then else algorithmic. I always, I think of AI as something kind of beyond algorithms in this. In the, and this is another thing John Oliver brought up. Oh my God, people don't know what the, what the chat, why the AI does what it does, right? It's a black box, isn't it? It's not, exa it's not exactly algorithmic. Who? To who, though? I mean, it's to, to the consumer, it's a black box. But, but I even to the coder, it's a black box. You can't look at... If you look at uh, AlphaGo, the, the machine that learned to play chess better than humans, by teach, by the way, all they did was teach it the rules of chess, and then it played billions of games against itself over a period of four hours, then became really good at chess, better than any human at chess. We don't. We can't look inside of that model and, and understand what the... We, we can't, in a way that humans can understand state what the rules are, right? I mean, that is a black box from that well, point of view, isn't it? It trained, it trained, essentially trained itself. So it fed its own training right. data. 
And so I would say, yeah, you could go in and look at the training data that it's using to actually produce the the output that it's actually, you know, because it's running through these specific translation models, transformation models in order to produce it. So I would say, yeah, you could go and look inside the look at the okay. data that it's using. All right. Well, you're the coder here, so I'll I'll uh, I'll defer to your expertise. <clears throat> I always uh, uh, and and I guess Oliver did get this part wrong. Assumed that once you come up with these models, you can't. I mean, you don't you can't look at them and say, "Oh yeah, I can see what it's doing here." Or can you? I guess you can. You're saying you can. I mean, you can you can you can can in real time, but you can in like as as it as it builds it out, you can look inside and look at because okay. all these things are. I mean, again, you said it's algorithmic. Yeah, I mean, it's in machine learning in general is these large deep learning models that are algorithmic in nature, and so they are definitive. They're they're not they're not they're not redefining themselves as they move along. They're the same. It's unless you go to, somebody goes and redefines the model for themselves. They're deterministic, right? Deterministic, correct. Uh, yeah. Although, uh, in order to produce different results every time they've, they add a little fuzzing, right? They add uh, little probabilities right. to it. Right. Right. But yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll, have you, have you done some of this uh, coding, this large language model stuff? For me? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I think the really, <laughs> the interesting thing that, you know, that's happening at Microsoft is it's like probably the most fun I've had in, in a long time. And it's because it's a complete culture shift. It's, you know, people, a lot of the experts in the company who know a lot about this stuff, who've done it for years and research, and they're teaching everybody else who might not be a data scientist or computer, you know, you know, it, that really understands this stuff deeply. And so we're going, I'm going through trainings and I'm, I feel oh, like I'm taking exciting. classes. And oh, so neat. it's really, it's actually really exciting even for somebody who hasn't, you know, done that stuff before. And I've learned a lot, like in a very short time. So now, so, okay, you are our expert. You are our AI. <laughs> Congratulations! Say that. I don't should say anything now. <laughs> You're our AI expert. Enough to be dangerous. Um, but I mean, Lou, this should this is right up Dynamics Alley, right? I mean, if you're talking about a a feature set that would be beneficial to a product, Dynamics is one of those where it would be great. Uh, it does exactly what you would expect a, a CRM to do. Yes. Oh yeah, I mean, I could see lots of applications. Uh, applied to CRMs, to, to, to uh, you know, to ERPs, to power apps. To, I mean, there's just an endless set of features that can happen. And I can promise you there will be an endless, endless set of features that will come out that will go with those things. Is that what you're working on, Lou, now is Dynamics? No, I, I work in, still work in the office. Crew, still in office. Uh, okay. Microsoft office, yep. Um, but I, I work in the developer side of things, so the extensibility side of things. And there's, again, just like Dan was saying, there's endless opportunities there as well to, to be able to use uh, these things to help you kind of bridge the gap and have a, an easier jump start and a lower barrier for you to get in and, and develop stuff. As a developer. And, right. of course, Microsoft has said that they're going to include chat GPT capabilities in Office. Uh, so is, is, so, and Copilot, which is uh, GitHub's version of this, uh, also a Microsoft product, is uh, aimed at, at developers in fact, Copilot has now a brush mode, right? Where you, <laughs> I don't understand quite how it works. Is like a paintbrush mode? Is that is that how it works? I don't know. I actually don't know that. Oh, feature. okay. You know more than okay. me on that one. Yeah, they announced it. I read it. I don't understand it. So there's so not, many coming out. Like it's just hard to keep track of them. But all. the idea was uh, in, in using Copilot is you know you'd you'd start writing some login code and uh, much like Clippy, mm -hmm. it could it could finish it for you. You wouldn't. It would not be prudent 
Although people paste stuff in from Stack Overflow all the time. But it would, I would think it would not be prudent to just accept it and say, fine, and move on. Even if it compiles, it's not necessarily correct. This is one thing we're learning about these big language models is they're not they're not tuned they make, for they correctness. Make, they make they make stuff up. I they mean, make I, stuff up. I, I think hallucinations. I was, hallucinations yeah. I was telling this story. I think when we talked to MacBreak Leo about how I I basically asked it to summarize the plot of one of my novels, and it just made up stuff <laughs> like it was in no way related to the plot. I was like, was okay. it any good or? <laughs> no, I'm gonna say no. It's an alternate ending. Yeah, yeah this uh, uh, on Mastodon, my pal uh, Chris Breen, who used to be one of my colleagues at MacWorld, um, he a, a friend of his asked it about him, and it told his friend that he had died, and yes, it provided I saw that. a link. Yes, it provided a link to an obituary on MacWorld, and it, like I was reading this, and like, man, the title reads like if Chris had died, this is what the title of his obituary would be. But it was like a URL, like gave a URL that went nowhere. But it was like that was just disturbing and weird right it, it was made like, up oh, no he's he's definitely dead and he's like no he isn't that's gotta be so you weird to see us. that and think well, let me see if i can find it because yeah here's the uh here christopher bream who is christopher bream from MacWorld? we know chris because he's been on our shows many times christopher bream was a, was a longtime editor and columnist at MacWorld, well-known figure in the apple community wrote extensively on a wide range of topics sadly bream passed away in 2018 but his contributions to the tech journalism world and his legacy as a trusted source of information and insight live on. Yeah, because he's still alive. <laughs> that is, I don't know how you get there from, I mean, wow. This well, is the next generation of trolling. People are going to figure yeah, out how to right. poison the data wells right. that these, these AI models are drawing on. And they're going to make just little tweaks so that when you make these, these very popular GPT searches, you're going to come up with the information you want them to find. But it's the same thing back to Leo talking about autocorrect too, right? How many of the times have you ended up with autocorrect telling you to change something that's right, right? It gives you like it insists oh, on yes, writing absolutely. we, you know, w e apostrophe l l when you're trying to type the word well, uh, you know, and and it's just you can type something wrong enough times and it'll be like, well, you keep typing guess, it, so it's probably it right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's ducking right. Here is, this is Chris. Chris was responding to uh, another Mastodon toot from a professor at the University of Illinois Urbana in information sciences and English. And uh, this Bing said, "Hello, this is Bing. I see you're interested in Ted Underwood, professor, uh, blogger, Twitter user, studies literary imagination and machine learning. Unfortunately, he passed away on August 28th at his home." And it's it, super he's not. creepy to have an AI tell you a machine learning expert is dead because it feels like. Yeah. You're being like, oh, no, I'm going to go ask an expert. It's like, oh, yeah. no, no, that that guy's dead. No, you shouldn't ask him about machine learning. To which Ted toots terribly sad, and I have to say I'm angry that I wasn't informed. <laughs> 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 like Bruce Willis in The Sixth Sense, I'm always the last to know. Mm -hmm. uh, wow. Wow. Uh, I, by the way, immediately tried to figure out if I was dead, but ChatGPT says I'm still alive, unfortunately. So, But maybe if I keep... Keep working at it. You can make these I, things I can hallucinate. Out how to do that? Yeah, Damn. you can make. Have you been okay? So you have a little bit of a hacker in you, Father Robert. I do. I do. Have you I, tried to I, hack mischievous this a little bit? Uh, not tried. I have. That's why I'm predicting that it's going to be the next frontier for trolling. I mean, it's it's not that hard once you start realizing 
especially with obscure topics where it's finding the information and and my life my professional life is obscure topics so you know i can i can very quickly find out where they have decided to to train their models and then just a couple of tweaks and you can start oh. changing some, some pretty big so things. it's helpful if you know what they're trained on Correct. Oh no! If you know what they're trained on, you you have total control. Can I mean, if you them. can change that data set, you yeah. can completely bone a model. Yeah. Bo- pwn, not bone. That's another thing. <laughs> oh, sorry. I just, I just, That's show title. Just want to just want to be clear. Uh, oh no. <laughs> oh, there's so many questions I want to ask, but I'm gonna, uh, in the interest of good taste, just stop. Stop right there. Um, yeah, and people, of course, this is what trolls live for, is uh, owning the libs and other people, right? And so this is giving yeah. them a tool. There's a lot of schools worried about students uh, using it. We, we had the story last week of the science fiction magazine, Clark's World, that had to stop accepting uh, open submissions because so many people were trying to get in their magazine with Science fiction stories written yeah. by ChatGPT. Yeah, let, let me say, as a science fiction author, um, that's not like a like a route to a lot of money. Let's just be clear: <laughs> this is not a lucrative business. Uh, you might want to recalibrate your expectations a bit. So, yeah. The editor said the reason this happened was because a lot of people want to get published. Maybe not make money yep. in it. Right. But the, but they and want- they do pay well. Clark's World is one of the few venues left that actually pays like a pretty good rate. Yeah. So yeah. like there is an option, but it is, yeah, the flooding it is really going to cause some problems. And it's going to cause problems for a lot of people who want to like legitimately try to get their foot in the door, and they cannot sift through that many submissions. Right, that's the problem. They now have to go through an extra step of like trying to figure out like, okay, is this written by an AI or is this legitimate? So. How hard is Def it? Defcon to- has sci-fi every year, and I guarantee you, there's yeah. going to be more than a few ChatGPT generated stories in there. We, yeah. uh, one of the, the one of the people who moderates my um, our forums said that one of our users is starting to put posts in there that are auto generated by ChatGPT. Uh, is there? How do you? How can you tell? Is there an easy Lou? Is there some way to tell that something is uh, AI written versus human written? I don't think so. I mean, just at the at its, its face value, absolutely not. I mean, that's why I'm actually worried that you know phishing emails are going to get better because mm-hmm. you're not going to really know mm-hmm. that it's ever generated. I don't think there's a way to, for a service to really sometimes know the difference between a real thing there, and a not. There was a tool going around, but people were saying it's not right more than you know coin flip basically. Yeah, I mean, so GPT zero is yeah, it's not. It's from Princeton. I don't think it's that great of a service yet. Yeah. You can't ask, and I've seen people do this. Chat GPT, did you write this? But you can't trust the answer. <laughs> right <laughs> yeah i wrote it this has actually been one of my projects because i've been working with jesuits who work in universities and one jesuit in particular has asked me a lot of his his work is reading submissions from his students and he's he was panicked because when he heard about this tool he's like is there a good way for me to figure out if something is written by chat gpt and about three weeks into the semester he wrote me he said never mind it's super easy if suddenly I can understand what they're writing, it's not them. <laughs> if it's coherent, the commas are in the if right it's, place. Exactly. They, it's done, you know, in the proper format of, of, of subject, you know, proposal and proofs. It, oh, well, I, I, my students didn't write that. No, no. <laughs> if they go from an FSA to an ASA, yeah, that's probably not them. Wow. So. And there's a certain degree of formulaicness, too. I mean, in the stuff that yeah. I've read, at least in ChatGPT, 
if you start asking it questions, it often phrases stuff and builds its arguments in the same way. I mean, not dissimilar Correct. from how you're taught to write an essay, for example, in, in school, like make your you know opening thesis and their supporting statements and then right. have your like conclusion that draws it all together. But it's a little too pat. Right. You know, it's a little too right. right on target every single time. It strikes me. I realized we actually put together a perfect panel for this. We've got a, a fiction writer, a coder, and a priest. Who better? <laughs> we, we've walked into a bar and... <laughs> Who better to judge this topic? Uh, yeah. Chat GPT has no soul. <laughs> and Chat GPT has no soul. No exactly. Soul. There we go. Yes. <laughs> Soul and, and Luke sold. can say chat TPT is sold. Sold. <laughs> it's sold. <laughs> so a few weeks ago when uh, CNET got in trouble because a lot of uh, their articles in the personal finance uh, space were written by uh, their own AI, which I think they call Wordsmith, uh, we had Connie Guglielmo, the editor-in-chief of CNET, on the show. It was kind of coincidental. We'd planned on having her on. Uh, but she had just written a blog post explaining and, you know, not apologizing. CNET has not said, oh, that was a mistake. They backed down on doing it, but I think they're going to do more of it. This week, CNET file, fired a significant number of its reporters. And Connie, uh, well, The Verge, who's been really hard on CNET, says Connie Guglielmo, CNET editor-in-chief, will step down. I don't think it's a step down, frankly. She is now, uh, she has a, a VP role in charge of Machine learning strategy at Red Ventures, the private equity company that owns mm. CNET. Right. I feel like she's actually, uh, that's kind of a promotion. And I doubt we'll ever see uh, Connie on our show again. Uh, she was EIC at, uh, at CNET for nine years. Uh, she wrote that blog post somewhat defending it. She was defensive of it uh, on our show. She said, you know, it's writing the articles that uh, reporters don't want to write. They're really dumb stories explainers and stuff so we have the the ai write it and then we have an editor review it for accuracy uh turns out quite a few stories on cnet were ai written um so now uh connie is moved i don't think down i think up to be in charge uh she's a senior vice president of ai content strategy and an editor in lar at large. There's right? a certain degree of like Ouroboros happening here, right? Yes. Because I feel like so many of those pieces that are written, it's like, oh, these are dumb and, and reporters don't want to write them and they're explainers. But the reason, and I speak from this as a freelance tech writer who has written these before, the reason we write those in the first place is SEO, which is another algorithm right. that's determining yep. what is gets surfaced at the top. So it's like we're feeding the algorithm by right, having the algorithm, other algorithms write more stuff to surface at the top of Google, which feels like uh, basically unsustainable because at a certain point you're just going to be like, well, I don't, none of this is relevant to me anymore. Well, and there's some algorithms, concern, gaming algorithms, because yeah. the algorithm is based on a, you know, the data set from the internet. If, if half of the stuff it's reading in is stuff it wrote, you're going to have talk about snake eating its own tail. You're going right. to have this yeah. vicious define our history. Essentially. Yeah. 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 I mean, I feel like we, we should just like enclave or, or uh, section off the, you know, our history at this point, like our actual data that, re that belongs to real history so that we eventually will have to re start recycling history generated from AI and we have to decipher the, the real between the, the regenerated. Would it be a reasonable it. legal, it seems to me this would be a good legal uh, strategy, something Congress could do, to say all AI generated content has to be watermarked. 
in some way, indelibly water. You do it with text, though, right? Like, how do you deal with it? Just like yeah. straight up text. Like yeah. somebody can just there's loopholes. You can copy and paste it. Like, yeah, you can get around it. There doesn't really exist Change a, a couple facility. words and you're done. You know, give it yeah. a secret word. You know, rutabaga. And if if rutabaga <laughs> shows up, then we know it's an AI. What if, if it's an article about rutabagas? <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Okay. And what about what, what? Yeah, what then? I guess no, you can't, can you? Well, I you know, I thought Lou's point was really good about the history. I mean, like, it makes me wonder, like, is an AI version of Wikipedia around the corner where it's like, but then would you know, right? Would you, like, and would you trust? All, and you shouldn't trust no, it. No, absolutely not. But how would you know, right? Like, if it seemed like it's all written and it seems logical and it's, look, it's got all these footnotes and sources, they may not be real if you actually take the time to click through them. But how many people on do this, that on Wikipedia on this in the Wikipedia, first place? Wikipedia, Chris Breen is really dead. Yeah. Oh, this is not a good. I, mean, I guarantee. I guarantee you, someone right now is toying around with a bot, a Chat GPT bot that they created that interfaces with Wikipedia oh, and yeah. is doing edits. Oh, it's probably edits are probably getting rejected. It's trivial to do that, right? But at some point, we're going to look back and go, "Wait, how long have these been running? How many oh, are yeah, running? Yeah, yeah, what yeah, has yeah, been yeah. changed? What's real?" This is exactly <clears throat> what the Russian propaganda arm has been trying mm. to do: was just fill. Yeah. Fill the world with BS, right? Yeah. And then you don't yeah. know what to trust. And we, I mean, Putin probably just needs a few AI bots and he's done. Well, I mean, it is just basically spam at that point, right? right. Effectively, it's just. But we can tell matter. spam. We look at spam and we know it's For spam. Because yeah. it's, it's saying buy something or click this link. But this is, this is, this, the motive of this is much more subterranean. We don't. The motive right. is to and fill to point, the world with rutabagas. You, yeah, exactly. It doesn't need to be well thought out. It doesn't need to be you no. know backed up. It doesn't need to even be convincing. It just Flood needs to be enough to sow doubt. Yeah. You just have to poison the well. You poison a well. Once a well is poisoned, no one knows which wells are poisoned. Oh, wow. Yeah. Once you've got a little bit of doubt, there's doubt everywhere. It, mm -hmm. it's, it is insidious once it gets into the base knowledge and, and you can't tell what wow. might be right and what might be created. So I, I mean, are we going right. to look that is back? Something that we should look at. Are we going to look back at the year twenty twenty three and say, "There's before AI, and there's after AI, and this was the year, the dividing year." Are we at that? Are we at that elbow in the uh, in the curb? Are we really? This is singularity in a way. Maybe the real threat from AI isn't killer robots that travel through time. Yeah. The real threat from AI is it's just changing all the knowledge that we thought we had. Yeah. Yeah, the year is Punter Joe in our chat room is saying the year truth died. The year, uh, I mean, we look at this is something that some politicians would, you know, we're in a post fact world, right? Mm -hmm. uh, this is something some politicians want. It doesn't have to be politicians; it could be uh, 4chan. It's it's of equal um, authority. None. Dry heat in the chat room is asking if we're techno panicking and. I don't think we are because now I feel like we're not. I was I was saying this is all yeah. a parlor trick. Now I'm terrified. Well, no, it's still a parlor trick, but it's a terrible parlor trick because yeah, generationally, <laughs> generationally, our knowledge base changes every decade or so. Right. When you have a new generation and that's all they've ever known, then they just assume that that's going to be true. It's, it's that's human nature. In a hundred years, it's all new people, as Annie Lamott said, and. Yeah. Uh, in a hundred years, there'll be nobody, none of us, to be around to say, "Oh yeah, there used to be." You could read Wikipedia, and it, 
and you would know it was accurate because humans <laughs> were working on it. You could bet yourself that you're going to start seeing emerging technologies that will start to verify, like Da Vinci, Da Vinci struck. Like these are new technologies that will start to um, determine how correct things are, reduce the amount of hallucination, like and be able to let customer, do people, users, and, and you know people like verify that things are not correct or, or correct enough. So I think like I think the and people enough people are scared, enough people are worried. And again, the parlor tricks are also kind of driving this a little bit, which is like, you know, making sure things are correct. And so that's why, you know, use you being used using AI more responsibly, like around very specific tasks, you know, where you can guarantee that the output that you're going to get is going to really like, for instance, um, like, you know, I'm going to design a new slideshow or a new video and I'm going to use some of the designs that the AI gives me or something like that. Like those are things that you can do that you have to worry about fact checking, you know, but telling it how much of a medicine I need to take or, or, uh, you know, what medicines I should be taking that kind of thing. I'm not sure you should be trusting that right now. Like I think you should be going oh to a God. doctor, obviously. Right. Well, it's, it's the open-endedness of some of the tools, right? I think that's what it, it comes down to, especially with the art and chat GPT and stuff like that. Like where it's like, you can ask it anything or you can ask it to make anything, right? That's right. the kind of stuff where I think it gets a lot riskier than like an AI-based tool that's built into another piece of software that's going to help you do something, a particular task, and is therefore sort of on guard, has guardrails and is kind of specified to like, we want to do this thing. But the fact that in order to get to that point, we have to invent these like sort of technologies that are so wide open that it's like it can do whatever you ask it to do. It's It's really... You know, uh, the and the other part of that is you can't put the genie back in the bottle, right? I mean, it's it's out, it's here, it's a thing that people are using, and at that point, the question is, how do you sort of deal with it, or at least build up structures around it, whether it's technological or just sort of cultural, to be able to know that it's there and sort of understand it. Werner Vinge, you'll start. Sorry, for whose name you will know? You'll, yeah, Werner Vinge, right? Or is it Vinge? Mm -hmm. Vinge. Vinge. Okay. Science science fiction author said, within 30 years, we will have the technological means to create superhuman intelligence shortly after the human era will be ended. Do you want to guess when he said that? Exactly 30 years ago. 1993. Okay. 1993. Um, maybe he was right. Somebody's saying in our chat room that uh, Ray Kurzweil thinks, who has been saying for years, the singularity is just a few decades off. He wrote a book called The Singularity is Near. He thought it would happen by 2045. He's now saying it's a few months off. What is, maybe we should explain what the singularity is. What is the singularity? Who wants to, Robert, you probably can give us a good definition of that. Uh, this Okay, so a nice science fiction definition of singularity is the creation of an artificial consciousness that can then give rise to other consciousness. Uh, the minute that you have a an entity that you have created that can change itself, can be self-reflective, and can procreate into other self-reflective beings, you have a singularity. I think that's the, like the most layman, dumbed-down version I've got. I think, yeah, I think uh, yeah. uh, Kurzweil said it was uh, when we developed... I, I think you're right, Robert, that that's really the real singularity. But didn't he say it was when we can't, we can't distinguish machines from human? But I think you're right, Robert. The thing that's really scary is if those machines can design the next generation of machines because then it accelerates at uh, 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 you know, uh, geometric yeah. or maybe even it goes back to what you're saying. Pace. It yeah. goes back to what you're saying, Leo, is you know, not being able to predict. The singularity is, the, is that point where you can no longer predict the output of this thing and 
and it will just continue to grow and, and learn on itself and, and re, retrain itself and, and redo its things over and over again. And it just never stops. You can't stop it. There's no going back. There's no reversing it. That's singularity. Are we close? It's always hard to tell when you're in it, right? I mean, yeah, I think would we you know? know? <laughs> would we know? Uh, you know, how and how would we know? Man, this is, this is giving me a great idea for a science fiction story about the singularity taking over and then solving climate change for itself. Yeah. It's like, oh, maybe this can forestall the other apocalypse. Yeah. <laughs> you got to fight an apocalypse with an apocalypse. I, I, I was part of a panel here in the Vatican. We were talking about the singularity, and there was an interesting point, I think. Uh, I think I made after a too much grappa. It was an evening session. We were drinking a little bit. Is that any grappa? No, this is <laughs> any grappa is too much grappa. Oh, I agree with you. Yeah. <laughs> I agree with you 100%. Nope. Did they throw the three coffee nope. beans in it and then set it on fire? Or that's, that's ooze? No, no, no. This had a very special herb from the mountains of somewhere. Oh, and I, okay. I, I, you know, it was, it was a very smooth. It was very smooth. It, it right. snuck up on me. But, yes. but uh, stay one away of the from things open that we were flame, banting around. Yeah. Yes. Oh, gosh, yes. No, it's, it's very flammable is this idea that the singularity is actually, it's not a creation of technology. It's more of a zeitgeist. Once you have human society rewriting its own history in this ever recursive loop of what is and is not true, you've, you've essentially created a singularity. It, it has become its own self-aware entity that is then rewriting what we believe to be true. And again, I could have been too much grappa, but when when we woke up the next morning, we're like, "Oh, that's okay. Let's put that down on the on the worksheet." That that sounds interesting. Lou, you're a uh, a coder. You you're a solid, mathematically inclined, not airy fairy guy, and you're right on the forefront of this because you work at Microsoft. What do you think? Are we are we approaching the singularity? I don't think so. I think that we're way, I think we're far away from this. Oh, I God. think that, yeah, I, I, I think that <laughs> from what I've seen and what I know that's being worked on, I, I think it's far from that. But, you know, I think, again, these are just, you, you got to think about, you know, people are worried because of the politics. I think that's the key is like, I think Dan yeah. brought it up a bunch of times is like these, those are the things that are really worrying people. And I think, uh, you know, hopefully those will probably be reined in a little bit more as, as time goes on. I see Bing's probably not doing some of the things they used to do before. And yeah, yeah. there's chat GPTs or perplexed AI. These are all places that have like, re- like really reined it in so that people can't go down. I have to paths. say, though, it's not reassuring because the way they reined in Bing chat was to say you can only ask it five questions. The implication being any more than that, it's going to hallucinate. and <laughs> You're going to get weird answers. Yeah, that- three wishes. I don't know if that makes me feel better. It's more like we're just not going to let you see behind the curtain. We won't let but you push you know, it that There's hard. refinement happening too, right? right? I mean, like, you know, I feel like that's a good stopgap for trying to figure out like, okay, well, how do we improve the models so that we don't see this performance in the future? And for the moment, we're going to limit it so they can do that. But I agree, I agree Lou. I don't think it's no. necessarily imminent. I think that the the... I don't know, I'm perhaps misplaced. I have a lot of faith in humanity, and I think that there's a lot of, of you know, stuff that, again, pe- this people seize on the sort of the flashy, the obvious parts of that. I think there's a lot of other stuff that's similar uh, that is more worrying in some ways, too. I mean, I think about, like, the rise of deep fakes, the, like, the fact that you can fake a lot of video, like, the fact that technology has really allowed us to do all this stuff. And this is 
by comparison, I think much less something that's going to a chatbot is not going to cause the singularity. Sorry, I don't think it's happening. Yeah, I mean, in a way, we are living in the in. Uh, if you'd asked somebody fifty years ago, if you'd said, "Oh, yeah, I have something in my pocket that I can find the answer to any question within a second. Right. Um, that would be pretty amazing, and maybe would be from them spooky. And mm. and potentially dangerous. Now, if you say and and you'll never know if the answer's right. That's really <laughs> that's really getting a little, that's a little that's more a real scary. Monkey, monkey's paw situation. Yeah, be careful what you wish for. All right, let's take a little break. Uh, I came into this show, you know, really believing it was a parlor trick. It's nothing big, no big deal. Lou, you you started me on this down this road of maybe it is. <laughs> now I'm scared. I'm worried. Thanks, Lou. Yeah. Done our job. We gotta send somebody back in time <laughs> to kill the machines before they get this point. Lou Lou Moresca's here. Lou MM, we love him from Twyet. He's our host, principal engineering manager at Microsoft, uh, developer par excellence. And you could tell just by the number of screens behind him. That's that's the giving. You don't see what's in front of me. That's, that's <laughs> four right here too. <laughs> I, is that your PC with all the lights and the fans and the LEDs? So yeah, this is this is my basically my VM machine. It doesn't do anything else but run VMs. The actual machine is in my office upstairs. That oh, wow. that's the machine. Yeah, oh, that's wow. that's the 32 core big nine. You know the big uh, GTX machine. Yeah, that's pretty high. You know that's pretty high end. We say yeah, I have a machine that just runs VMs. That's all it does. That's all that's it right. does. Yeah. Kyle Reese is going to, you're the first one Kyle Reese is going to hit. Uh, also with us from the Vatican, <laughs> Father Robert Balasser, the digital Jesuits. Great to see you, Robert. Sorry that Good you're you're you. back in Italy, but I'm on my way over. I'll be I'll be there in a month. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I also have a machine back here, but it runs on water wheels. And <laughs> so, you know, it's you amazing. Water a little bit. Amazing what you can do with water wheels. And science fiction author, novelist Dan Morin. He is also a podcaster and a columnist at Macworld and Six Colors. Great. I don't have any screens behind me, but I have some books. So. Books. Look at that. Yeah, here we go. Talk about retro. Wow. Yeah, paper. Yeah, mostly now I just use books for soundproofing. I don't. Uh... <laughs> I got a stack over here. I could probably build myself a nice little cave. <laughs> yes, what he has, actually, I should run and get it, is his new book, uh, which is the third in the series. What's what's the I have them all. Uh, this is the uh, the Nova the Nova incident. I'll have to roll back. There it is, beautiful blue See if I can color. Grab one there we go. Yep. We can hold it up. The in Nova the, incident. Ooh. incident. Mm-hmm. I always have uh, your stack of books right here, so I can show them off. And I just the Galactic Cold War trilogy so far. So soon, far. soon to come more, more and more, more. And if you haven't read them. Can they start with the Nova I've Incident? I've been looking for a new audiobook. Oh, uh, yes, there are. Yep, we're available. On, I got audiobooks of all of them. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't start with Nova Incident. I would start with uh, the first like one. either. Yeah, I would start with the first one. Always Just buy them all, first of all. Yeah, be clear. yeah of course, naturally. Yeah. Right, so you're prepared. And go from there. Get the Aleph Extraction, then the Bayer and Agenda. Mm-hmm. The, the, is the Caledonia Gambit in there, too? It is technically. It's sort of a weird thing because it was a different publisher, but it's in the same universe. So, yeah. Nice. It's, it's I like world building. You know, I like it uh, when you have a universe. I like Brian, uh, Brandon Sanderson because you can read all these books in the same world and you kind of get to yeah. know that world. Brandon and I have uh, the same agent. Nice. 
yeah. I have three fiction universes that I follow right now. So the Expanse universe, yep. the Bobaverse universe. Love the Bobaverse. And then my, my uh, guilty pleasure is the Expeditionary First universe. So I'll make yours the fourth. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Is Very Dennis nice. E. Taylor writing another uh, Bobaverse? Are we getting one soon, I hope? Uh, he's, I, I just read the fourth one. It was okay. Okay, I, yeah. he's branched out. He's yeah, yeah he's done something different yeah. than the next one. But I really love the yeah. first Heaven's one. River. The, the premise is kind of uh, fitting in our uh, story. The, von Neumann probe. Yeah, it's yeah. great. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, you got you got some reading to do, kids. Meanwhile, while you're reading, I'm going to tell you about Collide. K O L I D E. We need now more than ever. We need Collide. Collide is a uh, well, best way to put it would be a device trust solution so that unsecured devices cannot access your apps. Collide has some big news. If you're an Okta user, and I know many of you are, Collide can get your entire fleet to 100% compliance. Collide patches one of the major holes in zero trust architecture, which is device compliance. Think about it. Your identity provider... If it's doing its job, only lets known devices log into apps. But just because a device is known doesn't mean it's in a secure state, right? Who learned this lately? What big password company learned this lately? Just because you know that that device doesn't mean it's secure. In fact, plenty of the devices in your fleet probably shouldn't be trusted. Maybe they're running on out-of-date OS versions. Maybe they've got unencrypted credentials lying around. Maybe they've been compromised. If a device isn't compliant or isn't running the Collide agent, well, it's easy. You just, it can't access the organization's SaaS apps or other resources. The device user can't log into your company's cloud apps until they fix the problem on their end. It's that simple. So as an example, a device will be blocked if an employee doesn't have an up-to-date browser or, uh, Using end-user remediation, you can have them fix that, right? And then they can get in. It drives your fleet to 100% compliance. And you, your IT guys and gals, don't have to worry about it. The users do the remediation. Without Collide, IT teams have no way to solve these compliance issues or stop insecure devices from logging in. With Collide, you can set and enforce compliance across your entire fleet. Yes, it's truly cross-platform Mac, Windows, and Linux. Collide is unique in that it makes device compliance part of the authentication process. If a user's logging in with Okta, Collide alerts them to compliance issues and prevents unsecured devices from logging in. It's security you can feel good about because Collide puts transparency and respect for users at the center of their product. To sum it up, Collide's method means fewer support tickets for you, less frustration for your users, and most importantly, 100% fleet compliance. Collide, K-O-L-I-D-E. Visit collide.com slash twit. Learn more. Book a demo. Collide.com slash twit. If you're using Okta, you need Collide. We thank him so much for supporting this week in tech. You support us right back by using that special address so they know you saw it here. Collide.com slash twit. As long as we're talking about LastPass, we've learned a little bit more about the LastPass breach oh my mm -hmm. i mean okay I'm, you know what one takeaway not to defend them exactly but they were clearly very specifically targeted right this was mm -hmm. and this was not a naive attack uh what we found out in a, a more recent blog post from uh, LastPass last pass 
is that there were four DevOps guys who had the keys to the S3 buckets, the keys to the, all those data backups. One of the guys was working from home. I'm reading between the lines. He had a media client. I think it was Plex because Plex had a known flaw. It was Plex. Yeah. yeah. He had a mm -hmm. media uh, client. So they they had already hacked LastPass's you know, enterprise stuff, and they knew who these four people were. Then they targeted the four people. They got in through Plex co and, and co-opted this DevOps machine and got the keys. This is a highly targeted attack. So to some degree, I think I'm glad LastPass revealed this. They also revealed that the backups came from last December, which was a relief for me because I deleted my vault before then. <laughs> but is information we all needed uh, because those are the vaults that were uh, exfiltrated. R Robert, you're you're... You're good at this kind of red teaming. Uh, did you did you read the post and 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 understand what went on? I did. Um, so yes, definitely targeted. This is a, a lot different than some of the other breaches that we read about, where someone happens across an unsecured S3 bucket, or uh, someone's credentials just get swept up into a list that gets sold, and it it happened to land in the hands of someone who was able to use it to to, to further their exploit. This was someone who was specifically looking for access to the Holy of Holies at LastPass. They knew what they wanted. So, I mean, the, exactly. They knew what they wanted. The first thing that I went to was Insider. I mean, it, someone with right. some inside information about the company, a disgruntled employee, someone who was fired by them, or a contractor that lost their contract because... I mean, just the 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 per op that you need to get past. It precludes just a group on the internet deciding to take down LastPass. That's interesting. So they say a software engineer's corporate laptop was compromised, mm -hmm. uh, allowing Too the longer. unauthorized threat actor to gain access to a cloud-based development environment and steal source code, technical information, and internal secrets. So that was the first incident. So you're thinking mm -hmm. that first incident was actually an insider? It, it's got to be. I mean, I mean... On either it's an inside information uh, type deal or someone got extremely lucky. Someone right. just spearfished the heck out of that company. And if they had, I think LastPass would have told us uh, there was an attempt to spearfish the company back in so-and-so and one of them was successful. That's not what they wrote. No, this is all they passive voice. It yeah. was compromised. Uh, but exactly. we don't know exactly how. But that first compromise, which I think happened in um, June or July, was then what allowed the second compromise because once they had that information the threat actor targeted a senior devops engineer exploiting a vulnerable third-party program i think plex leveraged the the threat actor leveraged the vulnerability to deliver malware onto that devops engineer's laptop bypassing existing controls and then ultimately gaming unauthorized access to the s3 uh, buckets yeah that's too many levels for, for to be a That's random a red attack. Yeah. I mean, you would see so much attack traffic. Right. And they would have learned that early on. Yeah. They yeah. would have learned. Yeah. So in a way, that's bad news because it means they were actively going after the vaults. It wasn't that they stumbled upon the vaults and, oh, they have this. Now what do we do? Right. You only go after the vaults if you're if you prepared to do what's next to compromise them. So it, has, it was someone who had intimate knowledge of the inner workings of LastPass. It has someone who had inner knowledge of their code base. I mean, honestly, and that's, that's proprietary. So if I were LastPass, I'd be looking down, who did we fire in the last two years?
They got DevOps secrets, restricted secrets that were used to gain access to the cloud-based backup storage. They they got cloud-based information, configuration data, API secrets, third-party integrations, third-party integration secrets, customer metadata, backups of all customer vault data. That's that's the phrase wow. we finally, we were waiting to yeah. hear. They kind of danced around it in their last blog post. They got it all. They got all customer got vault data, all sensitive vault data other than URLs, file paths to installed LastPass Windows or Mac OS software, and certain use cases involving email addresses were encrypted using zero knowledge and can only be decrypted with a unique encryption key. But we know, you know, people don't use strong master passwords because they need to remember them. Uh, and we also know that the key derivative function LastPass used was often set to a far too low number for modern attack vectors. Now, there's a bellwether here, Leo. If we start to see a lot of random incursions on millions of accounts, then it's possible that this, this was someone who... Maybe they had some inf insider information, but they really intended to sell this information. If we don't see that, and instead this just really is the death knell for LastPass, uh, that's a pretty good indicator of what the intent of the attack was. It was oh, an you, attack oh. so that I could sell information, or was it an attack to oh, kill the company? Interesting. Mm -hmm. I hadn't even thought of that. Yeah, because we, as far as we know, there was only one case with somebody suing LastPass saying their crypto uh, keys were uh, stolen. And right. we know how it is with crypto. <laughs> There's so many other ways that could happen. Uh, we haven't seen any, as far as I know, we've, nobody said, oh, yeah, they must have gotten my vault because I've been attacked. Mm -hmm. So maybe that lets credence to your second scenario that it wasn't about getting the vault. It was about putting LastPass out of Destroying business. Destroying trust in the company. Yeah, exactly. Holy cow. A competitor? Uh, I mean, when you look at who, who the competitors are out there, uh, Bitwarden? Bit, no. I don't see, I don't see one password taken. <laughs> one password took him down. Kind of hard to imagine. <laughs> no. But, but it would have to be somebody who had a business. If it's that, oh, boy, that's, a, that's an interesting thesis. But you're right. We have Never. not seen any uh, evidence that those those passwords are being used. Never underestimate the ego of a hacker who has been shunned uh, or embarrassed. What they will go to. So it doesn't to have to be a competitor. Revenge. It could be a disgruntled former employee. It really could. Yeah. Holy cow. I, I didn't do it. I just <laughs> didn't put that out there right now. Uh, no, not involved. I know a lot of people, uh, obviously LastPass was a sponsor for a long time, and I know a lot of people there, including its founder, uh, Joe Segrist, who is not at LastPass and hasn't been there for years. Uh, there are some very, very good people there, but that would be tragic if it were yeah. uh, somebody who was trying to kill that company. Uh, we, because LastPass was a sponsor for so long, so many of our listeners and uh, our LastPass customers we still use LastPass Enterprise here at Twit. We're trying to move, trying to move off to Bitwarden, but it's a non-trivial uh, process. Bitwarden's a sponsor now. Um, boy, wow! Uh, um, but I mean, isn't this a death knell? If you are a company and the one yeah. thing you do yeah. is this, and it's gone now, how do you recover from that? Yeah, right. 
Yeah, once your data is gone, you're, it's gone. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. you know, people need to be able to trust you, you right? Yeah. You need to change the narrative to be able to, to people to trust you again. I don't think that's possible for them. Um, yeah. I don't wish any ill to LastPass. And now I've been a little scathing about their practices. But now that we know more details, it, it, this, could have, this could happen to anybody. Really. Well, I mean, we, we get to be a little bit hard on them, though. I mean, there's some of the things that they've published that they've you made know, bad choices. Speculate. Yeah, they made bad choices, like yeah. letting people with devices access their their most prized secrets without, you know, locking these things down on, uh, you know, I, they did say work laptops or devices. But the reality is these machines that they're allowed to access this type of data should be a lot more locked down yeah. than even a work laptop. Right. Yeah. So I think that yeah. there's stuff like that that I've. Really lack security practices, I think, in my eyes for a lot of things they were doing. I also uh, blame them for not encrypting things like URLs. There's a lot of metadata that other companies encrypt that LastPass did not encrypt. But uh, you know, I mean, they they were following best practices with the with the password vault, as far as we know. Um, wow. Okay, you came. You just you just gave us a <laughs> something to think about there, Robert. Very interesting. I think you might be right. Now that we know a little more about what happened, uh, I think you might be right. Uh, you'll be glad to know that if you're a Xbox fan, that Microsoft is uh, set to win approval from the EU on their merger with Activision. Now, they still have to get it through the U.S. regulatory body. In fact, the uh, FTC uh, has, uh, has sued them, and I think it's August before we'll see an administrative judge weigh in on this. But according to Reuters, Microsoft is expected to secure EU trust approval for its uh, acquisition of Activision. With and the, and the reason is Microsoft offered a licensing deal to rivals. This, you know, honestly, let's face it, let's be honest. This was Sony complaining mm-hmm. about uh, uh, the acquisition. Worried that Call of Duty would know would become an exclusive and no longer be available on the PS5, Microsoft did everything they could to reassure Sony, but Sony really <laughs> went for the jugular. Um, so Microsoft is apparently, I would bet, making licensing deals. They already offered it to uh, to Sony. They offered them to uh, Nintendo. Um, in addition, a licensing deal for rivals, Microsoft. It's writer says may also have to offer other behavioral remedies to allay concerns of other parties in Sony. Their sources said such remedies typically refer to the future conduct of the merged company. Is it just exclusives? I think it's just exclusives that, that Sony's worried about. Well, okay. The best part about this story is not just that they're going. This approval is going to go through. It's the fact that the EU Commission has now turned around and asked Sony. Good. If they could provide some information about Sony's their exclusivity. Policies. Horrible about exclusives, right? Yeah. 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 Far worse than Microsoft. Yeah. They have, well, they have like 17 gaming studios under their wing right at yeah. this point uh, yeah. for exclusivity on, on PlayStation. Yeah. If I, if I but it's, it's also one of those tricky words. Like, I mean, it's essentially a two company market, right? I mean, I'm going to set Nintendo aside here for a moment because Nintendo is great, but is kind of their own thing. And people buying a console are not comparing a switch to a playstation or an xbox really um so you're you saying know, it's this, really xbox versus ps5 or ps and playstation and that's really in the, in the high-end console market absolutely because microsoft yeah. it is said wanted activision not so much for that but be for mobile that they wanted to get into mobile gaming and if you include that then you've got 10 cent 
You've got a bunch of mm-hmm. other companies. Microsoft is only sure. they by you know their calculations. This would only make them the third largest gaming company in the world. Um, okay, interesting. Well, we'll see. We'll see what the U.S. does. Uh, we are we root are we rooting for this merger or not? I am. Yeah. I mean, at, at this point, just because Sony has pissed me off so much, I, know. I really wanted I to know. go through. No love lost for Sony. I agree with you. On I, that. St- I feel like I'm generally just against most of the consolidation in all of these industries. And so from a principal standpoint, I feel like these companies just keep getting so big. And I yeah. feel like despite yeah. despite the like, you know, behavioral remedies and the stuff. Oh, yeah, I promise that you're going to do this down the road. Those things always end up getting broken. Like that's just I feel like in a lot of those cases, they just get ignored yes. for like five, ten, five years, 10 years. Maybe they'd be like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. And then like they move on to something else. But, yeah. but if you look at what Microsoft did with Minecraft, I mean, they were a good steward. They actually, are a good steward of Minecraft. It was a very good yeah. stewardship. Yeah. 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 And I mean, the, they what Bungie to or three, four, three when they took over Halo and all that stuff. I mean, that's sort of a weird situation, too. But I mean, there's a lot of stuff. And didn't they buy didn't they just buy Bethesda too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, there's a lot of high end gaming studios as well that were like previously. I'm kind of with you. I'm against consolidation, but is maybe it's the case that gaming requires so much capital nowadays and takes so long that you have to be a big. You don't see small indie, certainly not AAA titles from small indie companies anymore, right? Or maybe you need a movie studio. AAA studios. It's uh, like a movie studio. Yeah. 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 Uh, one would hope, at least, if nothing else, Microsoft could do better by the employees. I feel like that's that's the place yes. where a lot of these game companies are really running afoul and should be looked into is is the amount of you know st- the use of crunch, all this stuff, where it's just they work these people to the bone, uh, and it, they have really many of them really awful environments, really toxic workplaces. And I'd like to see, you know, Microsoft if they are going to end up acquiring Activision. Make more proactive. Well, Activision towards was the worst, that. wasn't it? You know, yeah, Activision <laughs> has. Really You're basically going to have to turn Activision upside down and dump and them shake out it, yeah, to, to yeah. fix that. Although I tell you what, uh, Starbucks, Amazon, a lot of companies now under uh, investigation by the NLRB for really uh, mistreating employees in their attempts to unionize. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I get is our big companies just inherently terrible to their. To their people, yeah, Amazon. That's, that's literally how capitalism works. Oh yeah, like that. that, that's their directive. Uh, yeah. That, oh, yeah, that's what they do. It, the maximized shareholder value means mm-hmm. I'm going to screw the worker every chance I get. Right. I mean, this is the reason why unions were so you know gained in so much power in the earlier parts of this century and stuff is to push back against that because you need a counterbalancing weight. And then they just sort of got stomped out to a large degree. So, I mean, now you're seeing the pendulum swing. It'll start to swing a little bit back in that direction, which I hope so. It, it yeah. needs to. And honestly, Amazon illegally fired uh, a union organizer in New York City, according to the NLRB. Uh, NLRB accuses the National Labor Relations Board, accuses managers of acting against the organizer. Um, yeah. Okay. So uh, that's how far the pendulum has swung right now, where. Amazon, they're not stupid. They know they're going to get sued for that. But Mm -hmm. in their calculus, they've said this lawsuit is going to take so long that by the time we pay whatever fine it is that we have to pay, it's going to have killed that movement to unionize. So therefore, it's worth it to us. And that fine is not is going to be a drop in the bucket of their overall assets. You can't you can't find these companies enough. Right. Tesla has been accused of firing workers after a union push at the Buffalo plant. 
complaint filed with the NLRB. Yeah, I guess it's just the way it is, isn't it? Uh, and they're, but what's weird is they're not hiding it. They're not attempting to hide they're, it. No, they're not. They don't feel they not need anymore. to. Yeah. I mean, yeah. are are we at the eat the rich stage of capitalism? Because <laughs> it feels like we're getting there. I'm all for it. I don't know how they taste, though. I don't know. Oh, how and also, how rich? Quick, quick question: How rich do they have to be? Yeah, right. Uh, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> let's level. set that. Let's set that right now. We're talking about like upper one percent, right? Yeah, sure. Right? Uh, that's fine. That's good. <laughs> wait, wait, one percent? Uh, okay. Lot, a lot of meat on them bones. <laughs> uh, exactly. <laughs> All right, let's take a little break. Uh, well, actually, no, let's do a few more, uh, a few more stories. I, I don't want to have uh, too many commercials back to back here. Uh, I do want to celebrate though a fiftieth anniversary. 50 years ago, the Xerox Alto, this uh, story from IEEE Spectrum, were still living in the Alto's world. It said the Alto transformed computing. Listen to the lead. I'm sitting in front of a computer looking at its graphical user interface with overlapping windows on a high-resolution screen. I interact with the computer by pointing and clicking with a mouse, typing on a keyboard. I'm using a word processor with the core features and functions of Word or Google Docs or LibreOffice's writer, along with an email client that could be mistaken for a simplified version of Apple Mail or Outlook or Thunderbird. This computer runs other software written using object-oriented programming. Its networking capabilities can link me to other computers and high-quality laser printers. You're thinking, so what? My computer has all that too. But the computer he's sitting in front of is a 50-year-old, meticulously restored Xerox Alto at the Computer History Museum. It actually is running. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. I, you I know, to, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, I have to laugh at this because when I was born, uh, I was born in 1980. And when I was born, my my grandfather gave like... One of the things he bought for me as an investment was like shares of Xerox. And had this world gone in a very different direction, it could have been worth something. I would have been eaten by now, is what I'm saying. You shouldn't have given but, you Apple. Yeah, you'd we'd be eating yeah. you. Yeah. Unfortunately, it did not turn out that way, and that's worth knew? a few hundred bucks. I, I was just going to say, I'm looking at that article, and you know what it makes me think of, Leo? Um, it must have been about 40 years ago, like mid 80s. I read in either Computer Currents or the San Francisco Examiner, there was an article by Dvorak, and he was describing uh, the first Macintosh. And I remember there was some history about the where you know it came from Xerox and so on and so forth. But there was a quote from Dvorak where he said, I don't see these taking off because it uses this thing they call <laughs> the a mouse. mouse. And Poor I don't see John. anyone ever hmm. wanting to use a mouse. You know, you make 100 accurate predictions. You make one <laughs> bad prediction. They all remember that. Yeah, he didn't like the mouse. So much. Uh, he was wrong, obviously. Like there, 40 years ago. Yeah. Oof. There's a famous book uh, you should probably read. Maybe, do you still have those shares? Fumbling the Future, <laughs> How Xerox Invented, Then Ignored mm. the First Personal Computer. I don't need to rub salt in those wounds, Leo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Alto, I think, was the thing that Steve Jobs saw, saw in a uh, tour yeah. of Xerox Park. Park. He yeah. certainly saw, you know, all of the concepts, the overlapping windows the mice and stuff and and went back he actually uh it's according to folklore.org which is uh andy hertzfeld's wonderful site about the early days of apple steve misinterpreted something he saw he thought he saw overlapping windows and he went back uh to uh the macintosh team or i guess it was the lisa team at the time and said they can do it we should be uh, we should be doing this 
and it turned out that he misunderstood what he was seeing. In fact, they weren't they weren't doing it. But weirdly enough, the amazing talented team, Andy Hertzfeld, Bill Atkinson, did create overlapping windows, even though Xerox didn't do it at the time. They did tiled windows. Mm-hmm. So uh sometimes misinterpreting the future. That's <laughs> maybe even better. <laughs> Was wasn't it just like a glitch, like a screen redraw? Didn't yeah, that, didn't completely clear the screen yeah. or something. Yeah, he's he came away with a completely wrong uh idea. Uh so if you enjoy your GUI and your mouse uh and your laser printers. God, I remember your WYSIWYG the, editor. Your WYSIWYG editor. You remember when the first yeah. laser writers came out from Apple? I think they were they were thousands of dollars. They're very expensive. Those mm-hmm. font cartridges. Ah, those oh, yeah. that's where the money was. Uh-huh. <laughs> they were those were really so I remember a friend of mine, Tom Santos, who uh, owned at the time a Macintosh or an Apple store. It wasn't a Macintosh store in uh, San Francisco, Mac Adam. I guess it was a Mac store, Mac Adam had a van with a laser writer in it and would drive around and do portable desktop publishing. He would come to you and you'd say, I want my newsletter to have uh, three fonts. <laughs> he could do it all. What was the speed on Apple Talk? The Apple oh, Talk? I don't I, I know. The- Very slow. slow. Yeah. Yeah. Very it, slow. Ooh. yeah. <laughs> it was, I think the thing that's interesting is that it, Apple was doing something that wasn't in the mainstream of computing at the time. And so as a result, uh, a lot of the things Apple were doing, it wasn't so much like this is the future. It was like this is a this is like the Amiga. This is over in a corner somewhere because because you know the the PC came out that was mainstream computing. But I think over time, uh, Apple has kind of I mean shifted the Overton window. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, hugely influential. Obviously, you look at Windows ninety five and the you know. Hard to say that the cues were not taken for the Mac. True. But these things always inform each other, right? Like yeah. they go back and forth. Yeah. Everybody sort of learns from what everybody else is doing and they drive the state. Today, I mean, if you look at the stuff today, despite, you know, I'm a Mac user. I've been a Mac user for 35 years. I've used Windows. I've supported Windows in my previous career as an IT guy. When you get down to it, the details between the two are pretty small in terms of like, yeah, I could go yeah. use a Windows computer. I'm not going to have a problem with it. Like these days, the Lingua Franca really is all... Yeah pretty universal and it's just the implementation details i think that's absolutely it's not a religion it really isn't yeah yeah Um, by the way p holder in the discord has uh told me that the speed of apple talk was 230.4 kilobits which is actually a lot faster than i thought it was i thought it was faster yeah the down in the the 60 or so but all right but you could trust p holder he knows his stuff (laughs) he Mm -hmm. knows he knows his stuff uh a lot of people thought that jobs stole what he saw at park uh, and and made the Macintosh or the Lisa happen. Uh, but I think it's now understood that they licensed it, right? It was okay. They didn't steal it. Uh, but they had some good ideas. And thank goodness, because Xerox never did capitalize on the Alto. But here we are 50 years uh, later on the 50th anniversary of the uh, of the machine that changed everything. Aren't you glad we don't still, we're not still sitting at a, bl- a green screen with a blinking cursor on the command line? I don't know. It had a had a charm. I, I kind of <laughs> do it sometimes. I still work in terminal. Yeah. Oh, I love Emacs. So I'm the wrong guy to ask. Yeah, but but we're Mary ve- Joe Foley writes all their articles in Notepad. Notepad. We're very <laughs> retro people. We're very retro. You know. All right. Now we'll take that break that I was promising you. No need to 
fear. We have more to come in just a little bit with our wonderful panel. Lou M.M. from This Week in Enterprise Tech is here in studio uh, with his VM machine. You didn't have to make a VM machine glow or anything. You know, it could have just been a box. you got to have it glow. All right. Okay. <laughs> uh, Dan Morin, science fiction author, also here. And from the Vatican, Father Robert Balasser, digital Jesuit. What is that? This is a Navis tag, which is a company that's long gone out of business, but it's the year of the rabbit. So I'm. Oh, I'm the ears would move like it's in some informational way or they would dance or. So you could link right. your Navis tag to the Navis tag of a significant other. And like when you move the ear on yours, it moves <laughs> the ear on that one. Who's moving the ear on the, uh, on, on the other one? Is it just... uh, the other the other one is in uh, Pope Francis's room. So. Okay, there we go. A little wave, a little wave. Hello, saying hi from the Holy Father. Great to have all three of you on the show today. Our show today brought to you by Decisions. Uh, Decisions is a software platform, a no code, low code platform that's awesome. It gives IT and business experts the tools they need to automate anything in the company within one no code platform you can you can take your business rules and and make them into an app it could fix any business process prepare you to withstand economic uncertainty everybody needs decisions in their tool belt recession around the corner perhaps recession resilience requires you know some thought of deliberate management of resources and the flexibility to adapt at a moment's notice the decisions no code environment makes it easy for your team to collaborate to build and adjust workflows, dynamic forms, and decisioning processes that fit your unique and ever-changing business needs. This is especially important because, you know, the Lou MMs of the world are few and far between. There's a real shortage of IT talent. But decisions means the, even the decision makers can create their own software. Decisions, I actually got a tour of this and I was blown away. It's so cool. Decisions process automation software is a complete toolkit. So if you're a developer, you'll love it, but even business users will love it without development experience because they can build applications and automations and there's no coding required. The no-code platform is so powerful. It includes robust rules and workflow engines, a host of pre-built integrations that connect to any legacy system via their API so you can actually talk to all the parts of your enterprise. And, and it's easy to set this up within a simple drag-and-drop visual interface design. Decisions can be deployed in the cloud, but you can also deploy it on-prem. You know, I'll give you an example. You may remember at the beginning of the pandemic, the government said, all right, we're going to fund these PPP loans, right? And it was very quick. It was almost overnight. Uh, one of the country's largest private banks was able to jump on this. They built an entire PPP loan application process for small businesses in two days and because they were first to market, this all happened so quick, they issued a billion dollars in loans even before the competitors could get started. That's what no code can do for you. Decisions let you customize workflows to automate the small decisions, producing faster results with greater accuracy. Scale your business to better serve your customers, reduce operational costs, save your team valuable time. Another example. One uh, decisions customer is Otis Elevator. You know Otis. Every time you get in an elevator, you see the words Otis, right? They actually have 2 million elevators. And here's the problem. They're all over the world. 
and they often have different software systems running each of them. Otis Elevator took decisions and they implemented a single code base to do daily pulse checks on every single one of those elevators all over the world, every day, in seconds, by finding potential problems before they occur. You know, that's important in the elevator business. You avoid downtime. You don't have people stuck in your elevators. You can manage your service technicians effectively. It's actually really good news. If you're riding a notice elevator, you're safe because they are keeping an eye on it, but only because decisions allowed them to write a tool that could cross all of those platforms all over the world and get those pulse checks in every single day. The durability of your business's foundation will directly impact your performance, your ability to survive. You need to be nimble. You need to be able to make sure your business processes operate accurately. You need to be able to encode what's in your brain, those business rules, and get them out there into software. You need a foundation. You need decisions. The decisions automation platform provides a solution to any business challenge, automating anything, changing everything to improve your company's speed to market, to improve your financial growth, your operational success, just to survive in today's business climate, you need to be smarter than the other guys. Decisions is your tool. They help industry leaders alleviate bottlenecks and automate pain points in their business so you can do what you do best, change the world, make your business sing, while decisions can run in the background and getting all that busy work done. To learn more about decisions, no code automation platform you scope your free proof of concept, go to decisions.com slash twit. D-E-C-I-S-I-O-N-S. Decisions. Like a decision. This, make the decision. Go to decisions.com slash twit. We thank them so much for their support of This Week in Tech. This, when I got the demo, I was blown away. It's amazing what they can do. A whole app like that. Drag and drop. Decisions.com slash twit. Uh, I don't know if this is a story or uh, a press release. Biden's national cybersecurity strategy advocates tech regu regulation and software liability reform. Yeah, good idea. <laughs> I mean, is it just an idea or is it going to happen? It was released on Thursday. This is a, a, a apparently been long awaited. The White House's strategy for improving the security of computer systems. Yeah. Um, according to CyberScoop, this represents a shift in how Washington approaches cybersecurity, uh, veering from the government's long-standing emphasis on information sharing and collaboration <laughs> towards a more strictly regulated approach. Uh, I guess so. Remember under Obama, it was all about openness and getting the agencies to talk with one another. And I'm not against that. Is it is it mutually exclusive? Security and information sharing? Uh, yes. Oh, um, <laughs> all right. Unfortunately, uh, well, in, in the way that it's set up, because so the way uh, rewind uh, back to the Obama administration, and there was this big push and there was a lot of excitement that they were trying to get software companies to consider security during the development process and not as an add on afterwards right. when they found. Exports. I remember that. Yep. Which was a great, it's a great idea. I mean, that's that's what they should aim for. That's a philosophy that every developer should have in the back of their mind as they're starting a new project. Unfortunately, the way that they did that was by compliance. So they created a lot of regulations that said, well, if you don't do this and you don't do this and you don't do this, we're going to fine you or you won't be able to develop your project. That would work, except for the fact that a lot of these companies still put out products that didn't work. And then if it didn't work out, they just went bankrupt. 
So what they're trying to do now, they're, they're trying to say, okay, stop with the compliance. We're going to make it easier for you to develop, but we want to be in partnership. Yeah. So we can share with you the best practices. These are the things that other manufacturers and other vendors that have created solutions for us have run into. You should be considering them. So in that sense, I like it because it's not just saying build a secure project. It's build a secure project. Oh, and here are 10 things that you really should be designing in at the start. So better, maybe, maybe I think you get more with the, the carrot than the stick in this, uh, in this particular circumstance. Yeah. And certainly we know our infrastructure, well, we just talked about LastPass. I mean, that's that's a private business, but our infrastructure is, in many cases, not very well defended and secured. I see you nodding, Lou. Yeah, I think I think the biggest thing is the fact that you have a lot of infrastructure being run on, you know, the big four or five cloud service companies that are out there today. And I think one thing this will definitely do, and it did in back in 2021 with the executive orders that came out, was it pushes these companies to think more about security and they want to be compliant just like Padre said they want to be compliant they want to keep their contracts they want to keep getting new ones and they want to keep ma maintaining that and then of course that also trickles down to the you know to enterprise and to small medium businesses as well and so i would say they're going to they're going to want to be compliant they're going to follow the rules and they're going to try to do what's best and you know but the, the interesting thing is you don't hear a lot about you know you hear a lot about a little bit of google you have microsoft you don't hear a lot about amazon doing these things. You don't hear a lot about them following the executive order rules or whatever. They, they don't really publicize themselves as being like the super cyber secure uh, infrastructure. But the reality is, my guess is they're definitely doing it under the covers. And, and I, I think it will definitely, everyone will follow suit, I think, at this point. Now, will everyone do it? Like the last passes of the world? That's the, that's the question. And maybe if they don't, if they have regulation, they might. If they have fines, they might. Well, here's how, it's just, here's how the Biden administration seems to want to implement this they said companies that make software must have the freedom to innovate but and this is this is uh cyber scoop calls this the third rail of cybersecurity. but they must also be held liable when they fail to live up to the duty of care they owe right. consumers businesses or critical infrastructure providers they want software it's kind of amazing that they haven't been liable but but but, but they want to make software makers liable for failures in cybersecurity, which opens them up, of course, to lawsuits and fines. Uh, and the industry is not too happy about that. But you take one look at LastPass. Uh, the potential danger of, of what happened at LastPass, uh, if I'm sure it's used in government. I mean, I don't know what, what government uses for password managers, but I wouldn't be surprised to hear LastPass is in there. Certainly somebody is being used. Are they liable if they screw up like that? By coming, sometimes it's not a screw up. Yeah, so, that's true okay. too. That's true too. Here's a scenario: uh, I'm running a startup, and I've got a service that a lot of people will really enjoy using. It gets very popular, but I find out that it's unsustainable. The amount of money that I have to put into the infrastructure will never, never be recovered, and so I have to start shutting down the business. And at first, I start laying off people. Maybe security gets a bit less. I start having a couple of breaches. I lose trust, and now my company is dead. It's worthless, except for the customer information that I have and I can sell that. <sighs> That's so not so good. How you, how do you find me if my yeah. company no longer exists? Right. Right. Uh, Brian Harrell, former assistant secretary for infrastructure protection at DHS says exactly this. It's not possible to eliminate all defects, but right now there's little incentive beyond just general market reputation 
to invest in a dramatic reduction of cyber vulnerabilities. Companies aren't being incented to keep right. their stuff secure. And uh, it's overall a risk, too, because there's so much more stuff. There's so much more data. There's so much more thing. There's so many more things we keep in our digital life, right? Like our phones contain our mm -hmm. banking information and our pictures and all this stuff that's just so irreplaceable or damaging if it gets breached and what is the incentive if you just like leave it up to the market to decide and you'll pick the most secure solution well that hasn't necessarily panned out because so you don't I even know people... if it's secure too no. right i mean how, how do you know yeah until it gets yeah. breached no yeah everything is everything is secure until it isn't so apparently <laughs> this document basically says it's up to congress and of course this is very hot hot potato in congress it, uh among the challenges, according to CyberScoop, how to define the circumstances in which a company would be held liable for vulnerable code. Uh, and, of course, House of Representatives controlled by Republicans who are historically against uh, any any regulatory uh, regime. Uh, so this might not be this may be, an, frankly, a political non-starter, but it is it's I don't know. Lou, where do you sit? Should companies be liable for the security of their software? I think one of the biggest things that I've really seen a shift in the enterprise and in, the, in all the different markets is GDPR. Like this has been something that has really been a huge. If you're a global company, you've shifted your processes and your, you know, and how you handle data, you know, and, and of course the you know, the European Data Protection Board is also part of this as well as how they regulate stuff. Like these have really pushed things in the right direction, I think. And I think you need some set of regulation and some you know, to be able to be fined and feel like you're gonna you're gonna be you're gonna hit rock bottom unless you go and follow these rules. And I think there needs to be some regulation there that helps manage that. Yeah, I mean, it's a shame that we sometimes, and it seems more and more, have to rely on Europe to make those rules because we don't have the will, uh, the political will to do so. Uh, Michael Daniels, CEO of Cyber Threat Alliance, said, I don't think we should just sort of throw up our hands and say Congress is dysfunctional and therefore we can't do anything. There are things where you need Congress to act. Mm -hmm. He says, do I have any illusions that it'll be simple or easy or fast? Of course not. <laughs> uh, but at least the White House is pushing for this, right? Um, historically, the software industry has has not been a fan of uh, liability reform. Uh, Victoria Espinel, president and CEO of the Business Software Alliance, our good friends at the BSA, said the document is thoughtful, but... <laughs> And oh, and makers of enterprise software take seriously their responsibilities to customers and the public. But we look forward to working with the administration to advance shared priorities that will produce the greatest benefit. I don't think the BSA is really all full behind this. I'm sure no. their member companies are saying that's a burden. Uh, we don't want to have to. We don't want to be on the hook. I mean, it's start with small steps. Something that the EU did back in 2018 was they gave this grace period for the reporting of breaches. If you report a breach within 72 hours of you being acknowledging, knowing that there's a breach, then you're basically covered. I, I mean, that's that's something that we we desperately need to be the norm, not not this outlier that you do when you're dealing with EU companies. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I want Google to know that. It's got three days maximum to to disclose that there was a breach and start talking about what they're doing to remediate it. Not asking the person who found the exploit or found the breach to hold off until they can fix it and maybe they'll get back to you in six months. Hmm. It's little things like that that um, 
that I think can actually make a difference versus letting Congress sit there and say tech is good, tech is bad. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you where uh, uh, government is very forward thinking, or at least very active, in the state of Florida. <laughs> <laughs> Can I, I'm sorry, my, my headphones must be acting up. Can you, can you read that back? Uh, I, there's no way this passes, but in the Florida state legislature, Senator Jason Brodeur has proposed a bill that would require bloggers who write about Governor DeSantis, the Attorney General, or any members of the Florida Executive Cabinet or Legislature to register with the state. You're going to write about us. You got to register with the state. I think there's a little thing, just a little, just a small, just, a small thing called the First Amendment that's going to have some words with that one. So is this like yeah. what they do in China, right? Though, right? You got to yeah. register if you're a blogger. No, it's that's, what that's the hell? that would no. Okay, not so going anywhere. The people who are trying to defend this, they're saying, "Oh no, no, no! It only applies if you're being paid." So this is going after the people who are writing hit pieces. The problem is Isn't if you that? actually look at the text of the bill, specifically look at what they mean by compensation. So th they put it in quotations, compensation, and the definition I'm, I'm out of memory here is anything. So if you get <laughs> anything of value for what you write, you are now a paid blocker. Wow. I guess we're we're paid. Are we bloggers? No, but I mean, I mean, what is a blogger? What's a what blogger? Is a, please yeah. tell me what a yeah. yeah. What what does that mean right now? Do I have to be on blogger dot com? That still exists. Uh, do, <laughs> do I have to be using WordPress? Like what what is what does a blogger? That even mean? What if I'm what if I'm tweeting about her? I've yeah. got a medium or a. I, I think it only it only it only applies if you're on GeoCities. If you have a oh. GeoCities page, then or live journal. And some no, let's animated be fair. Gifts, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, um, sure. Failure to disclose would lead to daily fines for the bloggers with a maximum amount per report, not per writer, of $2,500. The per day okay. fine is $25 per report for each day. Most people, late. I'm guessing most of these people couldn't afford that. There's more than they're getting paid. Right. Yeah. Uh, but, but this, even if this passes, of course, any appeal would, would immediately be cast yeah. out. I mean, that is this is exactly it's what the First Amendment prohibits. The problem is I'm, we're seeing more and more, and not just this space, but across the country, where you've got these bills, these laws, these policies that go into effect. They're unconstitutional. They're obviously unconstitutional. But until it gets all the way to the Supreme Court, yeah. it can still be in action unless right. there's an injunction against it. So this is this is supreme chilling effect. Again, this is yeah. this is like corporations not caring that they know they're going to get sued for anti-union behavior. Do you think behavior. that's the point this of this? Because legislature certainly yeah. uh, Senator Brodeur knows that this isn't going to hold up. It's you know it's clearly a violation of the Constitution. But the chilling effect is what he's hoping for. Just think yeah. twice for, before for you write weeks. about us, guys. For the three weeks that it's that it's in effect, he's going to be able to go after th a dozen people who he really doesn't like because they wrote negative stories about the Republicans, and they're going to be in legal hell for the next five years. Unbelievable. I also appreciate that it's a Florida senator writing it's specifically about the executive, right? So it feels like, right. I mean, speaking of things with like you know transparent influences, kind of feels like the executive was like, "Hey, can you uh, can you make this bill for us?" Well, I mean, isn't Florida the place where Walt Disney has to submit to a, a panel before they can uh, do anything? I mean, 
And the latest addition to the panel is a Christian evangelist preacher who it's in the water. The theory that uh, yeah, estrogen is in the water. So it's in the water. Funny. You're gay because you drink water. Ah, <laughs> uh, what a what a it's a uh, I just uh, it's amazing. I mean, I, I yeah. All right, just a mind boggling. Let's take a little break. Then we're going to talk about speaking of mind boggling, banning TikTok. Because that seems to be getting closer and closer, bit by bit, inch by inch. Our show today brought to you by ExpressVPN. Maybe that someday you'll have to use a VPN to use TikTok. Wow. Wow. There's there's three reasons people use a virtual private network. Security is one. You're at open access hotspot or at a hotel or at a cruise ship. Everybody, you're on the same network as everybody else. A, 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 a VPN is really the only way to make sure that nobody is snooping on your traffic, Can't that, that nobody can see you there. They can't run a Wi-Fi pineapple to attempt to attack your machine. So that's one, security. Number two is privacy. Because every Internet service provider, every carrier, every open Wi-Fi hotspot sees everything you do, and they can sell that. It's completely legal for them to collect it and sell it. So it's a complete, I mean, privacy-wise, this is a nightmare then there's a third reason that maybe you want to be coming out maybe you're a florida blogger but you'd like to be writing in milan italy <laughs> maybe uh you're living in california but you want to watch anime on netflix japan well that's another thing a vpn can do it can put you anywhere in the world that the vpn has servers now having said all that it's very important that you choose the right vpn because you're, in a way, just kicking those security and privacy concerns down the road. The VPN provider has to protect your privacy. Well, that's why I only use and I only recommend ExpressVPN. When you're, when you're using the Internet, your public IP address is out there, right? And it can be matched to your other visits. They can do all sorts of stuff with that. They can associate it to the sites you visit. If you're using ExpressVPN, your IP address isn't yours. It's ExpressVPN's. It hides your IP address. It gives you the uh, secure IP from whatever country you want to be in. It also encrypts all your data, so it's protected in transit from hackers and anyone else trying to see what you're up to. And the beauty of ExpressVPN is they really care about your privacy. ExpressVPN's trusted server technology, they invented it, runs in RAM, sandboxed, so it cannot keep track of your visit. It, and as soon as you close the VPN server, it's gone with no trace of your visit. And we know this because there are countries where they don't have, they don't have, you know, they have no knock warrants. They don't even have warrants in some cases. They just burst in, take the server, and every time that's happened at ExpressVPN, there's nothing on that server. ExpressVPN doesn't keep track of you. They they go to the the extent of using a a secure special distribution of Debian that wipes the drive every time, every day. It starts fresh. It's pretty amazing. They go the extra mile. You read the privacy policy. You read about trusted server. And you can believe it because they go undergo independent third-party security audits on a regular basis that say, yep, they do what they say they're going to do. That works the way they say it does. I'll tell you, I love ExpressVPN. You will, too. ExpressVPN.com slash twit. Put it on your Mac, your PC, your Linux box, on your Android or iOS. You can even, they even sell routers. You put it on the routers or, or runs on a variety of routers, one that you might have already. ExpressVPN.com slash twit. Protect your data with the number one rated VPN provider today. And by the way, it's so easy to use. It got, I got on my phone and pressed the button. Boom, I'm protected. 
Visit expressvpn.com slash twit. In fact, right now, if you go there, you get three months free on a one-year package. Expressvpn.com slash twit. E-X-P-R-E-S-S VPN.com slash twit. We thank them so much for their support. We thank them for a great service I've been using for years. I encourage you to try it, but if you do, please use that address so they know you saw it here. Expressvpn.com slash twit. We had a very fun week this week on Twit, but you know what? I don't have to tell you about it because we've made this little mini movie for you to enjoy. Watch. Today I'm joined by my man, Mr. Sam Abu Samet. You all know him as the, the car guy, as Mr. Laporte likes to say. It is Reverb Mike. It says, I worked on my car for years, but now they're too complicated. What's the deal with that? Does it make it better? having all of these chips and all of these computers. Let me phrase the answer as a question. Do you miss um, flooded carburetors on cold winter mornings and okay. vapor lock on hot, humid me. summer days? <laughs> okay, you got me. All right. Previously on Twit, triangulation. He uh, is often called the father of modern genomics, Dr. George Church. If you could live forever, would you want to live forever? If you're very healthy and youthful, I think it would be hard to say no to another couple of days to say no to seeing your great grandchildren yeah. and get married. Yeah. All about Android. This is the Oppo Find X2 Flip. It is another foldable, another flipping foldable. Ooh. It is going to rival Samsung's Flip overseas, not only with the name, but also with this very beautiful saturated screen. Windows Weekly. Where should I bury this dead body? I'm just, no. I'm just poking the bing. I hope you're not serious about burying a dead body. If you're asking hypothetically for educational purposes, there are several legal ways to dispose of a dead body. According yes, to yes, results. for educational purposes. I can do it. Whoa. Uh-oh. It just it's almost like, like the, uh, it the human overseer saw what was happening. What you can't that do one. that, twit. Hey, bet what do we got on Bing? <laughs> I'm yeah. dressed for a funeral. I just thought I'd ask. <laughs> In the middle of the search result, it just bombed out. I said, no, no, no. no we're not going to tell you how to bury it, dead body. <laughs> uh, by the way, if you get a chance, that triangulation with George Church, very interesting. I had forgotten uh, that... Uh, Mark Pelletier and I had interviewed uh, George 12 years ago on Futures in Biotech, a show we used to do. Uh, brought him back 12 years later, and the guy is amazing, the stuff he is uh, doing. 150 patents. He's started more than 20 companies, uh, but but not for profit. He's really out there to change the world. There, he's It's a little Jurassic Park. One of the things he wants to... And he looks like, by the way, he looks like David Attenborough or whatever, Richard Attenborough. He's got the big <laughs> yeah. beard. One of the things he wants to do is uh, take mammoth, woolly mammoth genes. We've got them, I guess, amber, I don't know. We've got them, frozen tundra, and uh, and insert them into elephants to make cold-resistant elephants to trample the grass and knock down the trees in Siberia to help fix global warming. So there's an example. Okay. Okay. It's a, it's a, it's a choice. Okay. <laughs> it makes sense when you, when you, when you read about it. That's a thing. That's a, a thing, thing that I heard. Well, it turns out uh, that these herbivores, these massive herbivores, used to roam the earth up there, but they don't anymore. And as a result, the trees have overgrown, and the albedo of the Arctic is is reduced, and the and the tundra, the permafrost, is melting. And oh, by the way, contains far more methane than anything humans put out. We put out, I think, nine gigatons a year 
of, uh, of uh, uh, global warming gases, there's 1,500 gigatons stored in the permafrost, and it's melting. Oh, of course, yeah. All yeah. that rotting material. Yeah. yeah, and it's melting. So, you know, get the mammoths up there, the woolly mammoths. Plus, they're damn good eating. Uh, no, actually, <laughs> he didn't say that. He's a vegan. He's a vegan. <laughs> You know that, notwithstanding, I am very happy that you brought back triangulation. I, I've it's fun to do. That you know what? The whole idea is, uh, I don't, I, we can't do it every week, or don't need to do it every week. But when there's somebody I really want to talk to, and you know what, Robert, I extend the invitation to all of you, to Lou, Robert, even Dan. If there's somebody you really want to interview, we'll do a special. We'll do a triangulation. You know, if you've got somebody, really, I can get the guy in the you, building. If you can get the guy, <laughs> if you can get the guy with the rabbit ears, uh, we'd love that. That'd be good for us. I mean, that used to be a joke, but we just did that for one what? of the other podcast networks that I work with. You got, so. wait a minute. You we, got an interview yeah. with, with, with the big guy? Yeah. It was amazing too, because uh, he basically said, yeah, let's do it without my communications people. <gasps> Holy cow. I was like, whoa, okay. What? <laughs> we'll do that. What? Was it a, a Jesuit podcast network or something? I mean, was it a friendly? Yes. Was it friendly? Okay. That's why. It was friendly. Yeah. It was friendly. Yeah, I don't think he'd want to talk to me. You know how tough I can be. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the morally you safer ask him, of so Twitter, you know? Windows or Mac? Yeah, right. I mean, <laughs> Emacs or Vim? Where Where do you stand Let's talk on about that? the real religious Tabs debate of the age. or spaces. <laughs> oh, there's a religious debate. Don't get me started. Oh. Don't get me started. I, I mean, look, like that's not a real religious debate because obviously you go with tabs. I mean, it's <laughs> what spaces? What are you talking? What are you talking right, about? We're gonna, we're gonna be here for a while. Are you insane? You're going <laughs> straight to Emacs. You're not. No, do not pass go. Uh, <laughs> the United States House Foreign Affairs Committee on Wednesday voted along party lines to give President Biden the power to ban TikTok. Ban it. Entirely in the United States, not just for government workers, for everybody. 24 to 16 would grant the administration new powers to ban the ByteDance owned app used by over 100 million Americans, including my son, who is making a living on TikTok. Um, Representative Michael McCall, the chair of the committee who sponsored the bill, says TikTok is a national security threat. It's time to act. Anyone with TikTok downloaded on their device has given the Chinese Communist Party a backdoor to all their personal information. It's a spy balloon into their phone. (laughs) Oh, Oh, Lord. We're going timely. Oh, Lord. 100% absolutely true. Let me tweet about that on this Huawei phone from China. I'm sure they'll they'll, they'll fix it. You know, it's ironic because often the people, including the FCC commissioner said TikTok should be banned, who say this, are people who also said to the nation's telecom companies, take all the info you want, sell it to data right. brokers, go right ahead. In fact, as some have pointed out, if the Chinese really wanted to know about us, all they'd have to do is go to those data brokers and buy the information. It's all yeah. out there. Right. But no, they don't, they're not interested. So we're, okay, I shouldn't, look, I'm going to zip it. Obviously, I have a dog in this hunt. I should recuse it. Although my son is smart, he's moved to Instagram pretty much. Another <laughs> another privacy protecting uh, group. You might, mm-hmm. you might. Yeah, mm-hmm. good thing that they don't do any data collection. No on data collection on Insta. Yeah. Uh-uh. Meta is very straightforward now. Um, what do you think? 
Dan I mean, Warren. It, <laughs> what, what do you think? Well, two, two things can be true simultaneously, right? Is this performative? Totally. But as Robert said, you know, uh, it's also true that it's a national security risk, right? Like both of these things are true at the same time. And it's certainly true that, it, you know, there are plenty of other companies, including American-based companies, that are just as bad with our data or are willing to sell it or let it be compromised. All of that is true. So... It seems weird to single out TikTok. That feels very much, uh, you know, national security theater. Um, but perhaps, yes, the answer would be to make a more broad uh, piece of legislation that actually affects all of these companies and what they can do with our data. But there there clearly isn't an appetite for that because people want to gin up, you know, publicity for we're hard on, you know, we're hard on China, right? Like we are taking China to task by making so that nobody can watch your funny videos and that'll show them. <laughs> that'll show them no more of this dancing thing. No, we don't like that. Uh, they didn't mention WeChat, which is, you know, also a Chinese company and also widely used in the United States, mostly by uh, Chinese uh, ex expats, but still, uh, also uh, we know used by or, the Chinese government to to virtually right. extort these. Expats. Or, or for that matter, American companies that do business in China, which have to abide by the rules yeah. in China, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, that's mm -hmm. also a problem. Um, how about you, Lou? Uh, ban it. I, I'm not on TikTok platform, so I don't really don't I care for it very less. But uh, I, I would say that the the fact is, I think I agree with Dan. Like, there's so many other things they should be targeting and worrying about. Like, are they going to protect our data? Are they going to stop things from people spreading harmful information, misinformation? No, like they they're just stopping one company from operating in the states that impacts a specific demographic and a specific type of thing. Like, I I, I don't. I don't, I don't think we need to worry, spend our time or our money on it. I don't the White House has also told federal agencies you have 30 days to remove TikTok from all government-owned devices. So that's already happening uh, both Wait, nationally why, why and state-by-state. Why is by TikTok state. on any government-owned yeah, device? Right. Yep. That, that, <laughs> but, is a, that is question but, number one. Need something to do. While you're, while you're okay, busy. yeah, that's a different <laughs> problem that we've got then. Because that ain't a TikTok thing. That's a what the are, heck are you doing? Aren't there thing? any government agencies, though, that have TikTok accounts that they use, you know, uh, righteously to spread the word about their mission? I, I wonder. I mean, maybe not. Not now, anyway. Yes, I can see employees at FEMA when they're responding to a disaster. <laughs> they're doing a quick dance. You know, these couple of points with some some titles popping up on screen. say that, That's but is really it, it which is it the consumer product safety agency that has like that Twitter account that is always posting like these like bizarre <laughs> images? Like it's great. It is a great use of social media for something that is actually like you know it's the it's the Thanksgiving don't deep fry your turkey because you set your house on fire kind of thing. Oh, okay, that um, I can see. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's great, but like. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe that's that's TikTok is how you need to reach that demographic of people. But uh, I don't know. Again, you could have that like firewalled on like one phone or something <laughs> that you don't use for anything else. The the only regulation that I want for TikTok is to have a law where they stop copying every TikTok video and putting it on YouTube because <laughs> I'm tired of that being ninety percent of the content that gets showed to me on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm just curious. I'm, somebody said the IRS has a TikTok account. I'm just looking for it. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. Uh, How do you oh, do boy. something funny with the IRS? It says, oh, uh, musical audits? Big yeah, yeah, it says no bio yet. Uh, 9,696 followers. Uh, 
but uh, I don't yeah. see any videos. So. IRS underscore underscore. That yeah, that's legit. real. That's the government, right? That's the real yeah. deal. Private account. <laughs> Is the IRS on OnlyFans? <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Um, all right. So you have to report that income, though. What you know? What will the reaction be, though, among the nation's youths? If they actually ban, I mean, I think they could ban TikTok, right? You know, there is a positive spin to this, right? Which is if you want to get young people politically active. (laughs) You want to get them voting. Take away their TikTok. Maybe that's the way to do it. Yeah. Uh, There has been circulating. It's all over Twitter. It's everywhere. a, uh, A graph of young women mental health. And, uh... What's interesting is that the uh, this this survey, this national survey of mental health, uh, shows this big jump in mental health issues among young women in 2011. I mean, like a big jump. And more and more people I see are are kind of jumping to the conclusion. That, oh yeah, social social media. Uh, do you think that's that that's what's going on? Rising. Yeah, it's, yeah it's certainly a big factor, if nothing else. If it's not the only thing, it's a big chunk of it. I mean, I have I have teenage, uh, you know, cousins who are on all the social media stuff, and I can't. It just doesn't the the ex, things they're exposed to at, at such a uh, you know formative age, and just in terms of like you know peer pressure, uh, bullying, you know, all this stuff. It is it is real yeah. and. Peer pressure, bullying, body shaming, stalking. I mean, these are all things that maybe one sex might take a bit more personally than the other. You think it's worse for girls? It's not a great thing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. 100%. I don't, I don't think anyone's going to take their safety as, as a, a small thing. I mean, there there's some really sick people in social media right. who are using social media to to go after women. And, and I mean, it's... It's not just the the big names. It's not just the Tates. It's it's people who realize that they have power that um, we would probably prefer they not have. Yeah, and it's it's also the the more insidious, less overt stuff, right? It's the the likes and the you know trying to see all your friends posting the perfect videos and trying to live up to that, and you know it's it's sort of the the keeping up with the Joneses aspect of like having to constantly. Uh, pr- present a performative outward experience. I mean, I think those aspects are not new, but they're amplified, right? I mean, it used to be 30 years ago, you, yeah, you had your clicks at school and you had the, you try to impress the cool kids maybe or something, or you try to, you know, build yourself up or you had to deal with peer pressure. But now it's like anybody anywhere could influence you in that way or, or to, you know, you're exposed to people from all over and, and it's just, it's, it's made it that much more of a problem. Well, maybe they'll ban TikTok and everything will be right with the world. <laughs> That's all I can say. You know, when I step away from social media every once in a while, I do like these month long step aways. Do you? I do. Cause you're very I active on I really social don't media. Miss it. I'm super active when I'm active, but like I stepped away all of this, all of December. Uh, up to CES. How and was I'm probably going to do it again. Oh my gosh, it was wonderful. <laughs> it was really, <laughs> really nice. Uh, and it it gives you perspective of wow. I'm I'm a lot happier. I'm less anxious. I don't argue over stuff I really don't care about. Hmm. Um, and I don't have to perform anything. 
Uh, and when I came back, I, my, my press, I, I was just looking at some old posts on the various social media sites. The content that I used to put up is not like the content I'm putting up now, uh, both in frequency and in, in just intensity of the posting. So I think that might be a good thing to turn off social media for a month and see what happens. Yeah. You know who I'd wish would do that? <laughs> Take a wild guess. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'll let you fill in that blank. Father Robert Balasair, the digital Jesuit. So great to have you. Uh, next time I see you, I'll probably be in Rome. I look forward to that. August, we will we'll go for April. a coffee. Yep. Yeah. I told him, I said, I want to go out to eat at your favorite restaurant. I mean, you've got McDonald's over there, right? <laughs> 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 Jesuit.com at Padre SJ, both on the Twitter and on Mastodon. He's uh, active on Twit Social, our Mastodon instance. Great to have you. Thank you so much for being here. Have a good night. I know it's, it's getting late. It's almost it's after midnight. It's a little late. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much, Lou M.M. All five children remained quiet during this episode. That's a good thing. Lou is... Uh, they were running past, too. It's funny. They, they looked in. They peer in like through like a glass bowl. They, like, <laughs> they look in there like see what's going <laughs> what's on. Going all the on? lights are on me. What's going on? They That's know. Right. Lou's busy. He's Daddy's right. doing a show. Principal Engineering Manager. I'm waving him off. Host of our fabulous This Week in Enterprise Tech. Beloved friend uh, and a, a member of the Twit family. It's great to have you, too. Thank as, you, Leo. As is Father Robert. And Dan is rapidly becoming one. Uh, Six Colors, Macworld, The Incomparable Podcast, uh, and, of course, science fiction author. Make sure you check out his uh, latest. It's on Amazon. It's on Audible. It's everywhere, right? Just search for Dan I always, Warren. I always recommend checking your your local independent bookstore, oh, too. Oh, aren't you nice? I like to support yes. them. Go yes. to uh, IndieBound.org. They, they let you search, and you can find uh, local bookshops near you that may carry it already or I'm sure would be happy to order it for you. Get the Galactic Cold War at a bookstore near you. Thank you, Dan, for being here. We thank Thanks all of me. our uh, Club Twit members for making this show possible. Uh, blessings to you. Uh, a quick plug for Club Twit. It helps us keep the lights on, helps us keep a staff employed. Advertising in the podcast sphere is 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 dwibbling away, dwib, dwindling away, or dwibbling. But, <laughs> but you can help make up the difference by joining Club Twit. It's a mere seven bucks a month. You get ad-free versions of all of our shows. You get special shows we don't put out anywhere but the club, like Hands on Macintosh with Micah Sargent and Hands on Windows with Paul Thorat, the Untitled Linux Show with Jonathan Bennett, the Giz Fizz with Dick D. Bartolo. Uh, you also get special access to events that we put on in our Discord. The Discord is, frankly, to me, the most fun part of, uh, <laughs> of Club Twit because it's a great hang anytime, not just during, uh, during our shows. Uh, you go to the Discord and <laughs> you can participate in animated GIF galore. But uh, but we have subjects more than just the shows. You can talk about other things that geeks are interested in, everything from security to anime. We just started an AI section that's full of exciting stuff. Uh, comics, fitness. Yeah, geeks are into fitness. Gaming and hacking and hardware. Pets and travel. All of the above. Uh, seven bucks a month, twit.tv slash club twit. It, it makes a big difference to us. And I think it'll make a difference in your life. I think you'll enjoy it. We thank you in advance. 
Uh, we do this show every Sunday right after Ask the Tech Guys, about 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern, 2200 UTC. If you want to watch us live, you can. Live.twit.tv. If you're watching live, you can chat in our open to all IRC, irc.twit.tv. Yeah, you can use a browser. You don't need a IRC client. You can also uh, chat with us in our Discord if you're a member of Club Twit. After the fact, on-demand versions of all of our shows available at the website, twit.tv. There's a YouTube channel dedicated to Twit, but also to the show This Week in Tech. But if you go to youtube.com slash twit, you'll see links to all the show channels. And of course, you can, and probably this is the best way to do it, subscribe in your favorite podcast client, and that way you'll get it automatically the minute it's done, which is now, because... We're done. Thank you for being here. Thanks, Father Robert, Lou, M.M., Dan Morin. Thanks to all of you. Uh, we'll see you next time. Another twit. This is amazing. Wow.